Good morning. How are you? Good to have you with us this morning and welcome. Well, I heard about a man who really loved dogs. He devoted his life to them and he read about them, studied them, even gave talks about them uh, to other people. And one day he decided to pour a new sidewalk in front of his house and uh, his neighbor watched from his window as he smoothed out the last square foot of cement. Just then a dog appeared walked through the fresh cement, leaving paw prints behind. The man muttered something under his breath and smoothed out the damage. He then went inside to get some twine, so he put up a fence around the sidewalk, but when he got back outside, he discovered more dog tracks in his fresh cement. He smoothed out the cement and put up the fence. He then went into the house, and five minutes later, he looked outside and saw more paw prints. He was really mad now. He got out his trowel, smoothed the cement one more time. As he got back to his porch, the dog reappeared, sat right in the middle of the sidewalk. He went inside, grabbed his gun, shot the dog dead. Now, I love dogs, so I'm not advocating, you know, uh, killing animals. But the neighbor rushed over and said, why did you do that? I thought you loved dogs. And the man thought for a minute and said, I do. I do like dogs. But that's in the abstract. I hate dogs in the concrete. <laughs> that's how many of us are probably going to feel about the theme for this morning. We love to hear about forgiveness in the abstract, but when it hits close to home, we hate it in the concrete. Jonah has this same attitude in mind. It's great just to hear about it, but to go do it? We have been in this four-week series called Relentless, and we have been talking about God's relentless love to us, how much he cares about us, even when we're running from him, just like Jonah did. And so Jonah chapter 1 through 3, we have been talking about, here Jonah was a prophet, the Bible calls it a minor prophet in the Bible. God came to Jonah, he said, listen, I need you to go to the city of Nineveh. And I need to tell you to tell them to repent. And Jonah ran the other way. We know this. We've been talking about it. And he says, no, I'm going the other way, the opposite direction of Nineveh. And God sends a storm. The sailors are like, wow, what's going on? Jonah's the one that's causing it. And they throw him overboard. He does a half gainer. He lands in the water, right? And then comes along great fish, free willy or something like that. I just put that in. But, and literally the fish eats him. We know from Scripture. And, and Jonah's sitting there, he's like, okay, God, forgive me, I'm sorry, I will stop running, I'll do whatever, whenever, whatever it takes, you're calling me to do it, I will do it. Three days later, the fish opens his mouth, throws him up on shore, he walks away, and he, he goes towards Nineveh, and here's Jonah, he's standing there in Nineveh, and what we have to understand is Nineveh literally is a cultural epicenter. Kind of like London and Hollywood, New York, Las Vegas, Chicago, kind of all fused together and to the city of Nineveh. And he walks in there with confidence in his voice, as we talked about last week, and he says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Dead silence, you could imagine, you can't hear a word. Nineveh falls on their knees and they repent. God, forgive us of our sins, forgive us of our vile ways. God, we want to follow you. And you could, can you imagine the feeling that Jonah has going through this? A nobody 
runs away from God, spends some time in the fish's belly, and now God has decided to use him, and over 120,000 people repent of their sins. That's what the Bible says. You imagine, I guess, really the humility that Jonah had to sense. People fell on their knees, and now he's saying, thank you, God, for using me, the sheer exhilaration and the exhaustion that's going on inside of Jonah. And we're going to look at the last chapter in Jonah. If you have your Bibles, turn there with me to Jonah chapter 4 and verse 1 as we dissect this last chapter in this last installment of our series called Relentless. It said this, but Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. I mean, what, Jonah, do you understand what just took place? Jonah was greatly displeased. He became angry, and that seems like a humongous win for Jonah, humongous win for God, kind of a let's grab the cooler of Gatorade moment, let's dump it on his head, and let's celebrate. That's what you would think. If he were alive today in our world, Jonah would be booked at every church conference on the planet to come and speak because he would be that popular. Of knowing that a city called Nineveh came and fell on their knees before the Lord. Magazines, he'd be on the front of the cover of magazines. People would be calling him. But that's not how Jonah responded. He was angry, he was mad. And matter of fact, if you dig into this original language, it says he was greatly displeased. It's a word that's used for evil coming from the root word, which means to burn with fire. So literally, Jonah was a man on fire. And you just thought Denzel was in that movie. Well, we've got, we've got Jonah that does his part. So if you look at the original meaning, basically what it's saying is that when Jonah looked back, on the last few days, 24 hours, whatever it was, and see Nineveh's repentance, and what he saw was evil, he was a man on fire, burning with anger, greatly displeased. What's really interesting to me is when God looked at Nineveh before they repented, God looked at the situation as evil, and he was angry. But after they repented, Jonah looked at the same city and saw it as evil and became angry. So here was a guy with many, a lot of confusion, issues, very emotional. He's dealing with anger. He might need to check into Dr. Phil's house of hatred. I'm not sure. Or get anger management. In verses 2 through 3, it says he prayed to the Lord. And what is interesting to me in this, it's kind of a side note. If you look at the four chapters of Jonah, he only prayed twice as a prophet of God. He only prayed twice. The first time he prayed when he was in the belly of the whale. And his back was against the wall. And the second time he prayed was now when he was angry. Two times only recorded in these four chapters that Jonah, the prophet of God, prays. So Jonah's sitting here. He's angry, mad. He prayed to the Lord. Oh, Lord, is this what I said when I was still at home? And he's having one of those, like, I told you so moments with God right here. That, that's why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. And you got to understand, Tarshish was like this club med, beaches, relaxation, no more work. Man, I know, God, you are gracious, and I know that you are compassionate. And, God, I see that. I know that you are slow to anger, and you're abounding in love, who relents from sending calamity. And I want you to feel the depth of this emotion, the passion that he feels about his anger. He says, now, oh, Lord, that's how passionately angry he is. Now, oh, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. 
He's angry at God. He, he's angry that God forgives the Ninevites, and he just can't deal with it any longer. You remember that they, these people, the Ninevites, were the most evil, vilest, the most corrupt city around. It was a sick nation, and Jonah's God, look at this. Look how corrupt they are, and it's amazing. And God, I can't even believe that you would have compassion on a people like this that have done those things. And if you look here, you're seeing that you dive in. What's going on? God is saying, God, thank you for being patient with me, but I will never be patient with Nineveh. God, thank you for giving me a second chance, but I would never give that city a second chance. And so Jonah is living smack dab in the middle of a great contradiction in his life and in his heart. And it's so in essence, Jonah's saying, God, thank you for forgiving me, but I will never forget and never forgive Nineveh. He was angry. He had been hurt by Nineveh some way, somehow. Jonah was judgmental. And let me, let me kind of tell you how we can become judgmental many times. We do it many times by being a very, very good person who never surrenders to what God wants to do in the lives of people who aren't as good as you are according to your standards. That then we have no compassion for them and we forget that the grace of God has been bestowed on us daily and he's just as much in love with us today as he was yesterday. Do you believe that? Say yes. We can forget that many times when we look at other people that are different from who we are and do things that they should not be doing. We think they should be to some certain standard or whatever it may be that we forget many times the grace of God that has been bestowed upon us and God loves us so much. It could be that, you know, you're angry today. It could be you're harboring bitterness. Maybe it's even resentment towards someone because they've hurt you. Maybe you've suffered from abuse. Your friends have left you out to dry. They've walked away. I'm done with our friendship. They've slandered you. They've spread rumors, lies, and you're there. You're broken. You're fragile, but you're hanging on to unforgiveness today. Maybe it's resentment, and resentment is a little more vague and much smaller, but Resentment not dealt with five years down the road creates a house of unforgiveness. Maybe you're resentful at a spouse. You never told them you're resentful. They spend way too much money. You may want to elbow your spouse now. Fine, that's you, right? Maybe you're resentful because your spouse is not meeting any emotional needs. Ladies, you can elbow back, right, okay? Maybe you're resentful from things in the past. Maybe that guy never returned your Def Leppard album in 1982. I don't know still looking for. Maybe you're resentful everybody else got a promotion. Maybe you're resentful at your kids because they never call. Maybe it's resentful at your parents because they're not treating you the way that you think they should. And here's the thing, that God has called us all to forgive and to live in freedom so that we would not be bound. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he had been abandoned, he had been abused, he had been lied about, he had been slandered, spit in the face of, hit, and what did he do? We see his response, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. My Father, please forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. And then 
Jesus hits this topic on the head in Matthew 16. Listen, it says, For if you forgive men what they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Talk about a great contradiction. That is it. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive you your sins. We have to be a people that learn to forgive unconditionally. And that hurts many times, and it is painful, and it doesn't make any sense. Who do you need to forgive today? This is them. I've got to do it. I'm not going to wait any longer. Maybe you're the one that needs to ask for forgiveness. Maybe you're the one who is slandered. Maybe you're the one that has hurt. You're the one that's been the abuser. Maybe you need to go and ask for forgiveness today that you would let go of the resentments that you have. Don't allow your mind to be clogged with ideas and thoughts about what people are thinking and what they're doing and make judgments and criticisms of your life. Walk away from those resentments. And let's be a people that learn to live free. Forgiveness is such a thing that we can just release and let people go. What it does is it really stops it stops that thing being played in our mind over and over again. It says, I am not going to let you hurt me one moment longer. I get to stop it. I get to say, no, I'm not going to let it have a hook in me. You know, a couple years ago, we, um, uh, our family traveled back to the Midwest and saw a lot of family. And I remember all of our family members were in our vehicle and we were going through. And I said, we need to wash the car. So we went through to wash the vehicle. And as we're going through before they could clean it out, we had to get out and go wait in the waiting room there. They vacuum cleaned it all out. When the, when the vehicle came out, it looked clean. We got back in it. And I look in there and I can't find my sunglasses. And they were expensive pair of sunglasses Kristen had bought me years back. And I'm like, I can't find the sunglasses I put in here. Well, I was getting hot, very, very mad at this time because I thought, surely one of those guys that cleaned my vehicle they stole my sunglasses. Well, I walked back in there. I probably charged back in there, but I walked in there and I went right to the owner and I said, listen, one of your guys stole my sunglasses. I don't know who they were, but they stole them. They took them. They're expensive and I want them back. He's like, sir, I, I don't think that that happened. And he did take it seriously, but I said, no, one of them took it and I want them back now. He said, sir, one of our men did not take your sunglasses. Well, you know, by that time, I was so ticked off. My blood pressure was at a crazy rate. I mean, I was so mad. I stamped out back to the vehicle, and Fam was like, well, what did he say? I said, well, he said none of his guys would ever do that. And I told him I was so mad. I'm looking around for it again. We're looking around. Well, where could it be? And then my precious wife reaches up and gets into the, Sunglass compartment. <laughs> the only place I didn't think to look. Why would they be there? <laughs> and there were my shades. And I will tell you that day, to get out of that vehicle and walk 20 feet back into that building was one of the longest walks I've ever had in my life. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. And I went back in there. Because all of my family is watching, you know. <laughs> and I'm eating a lot of humble pie. And I walked back in there right to the owner, and I said, 
I found my sunglasses. And he said, great. He said, I'm so glad you did. And he, he was so gracious. He guy probably had the right to, you know, light me up. But I said, you know what, I'm sorry. And I apologize for doing this. He said, no problem, appreciate it. Thanks for coming back and telling us. You know, it's through those moments you learn a lot, don't you? It's through those moments that you learn, okay, I have to humble myself and go back in and say, you know what, I'm, I apologize. Please forgive me. I got it wrong. I did the wrong thing. You know, I know on our Wednesday night of this last week, uh, we have a lot of great classes that are going on, but the Marriage on the Rock class, those of you who are married that are really here um, wanting to work hard on your marriage, I encourage you to be a part of it. But, you know, Wednesday night was a great opportunity after the video was played that we broke down just husband and wife and just asked for forgiveness about certain things. Forgiveness is very powerful. How many of you know that? How many of you know that unforgiveness is very powerful too? And hanging on to unforgiveness and resentments will tear you up inside. They will. They will tear you up. They will do things inside of you you didn't even normally think that you would do. But when you say, no, I'm going to stop it. I'm going to ask for forgiveness. I'm going to receive the forgiveness, and I'm going to let that person go because I love them. Because, listen, revenge says, I'm going to get even. And resentment says, I'm going to stay angry. Remembering says, I'm never going to forget. But forgiveness means to give up and release it in Jesus' name. But Jonah is not interested in any of those concepts right now. He's angry. And so God looks at him in verse 4, and he says, But the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? He's asking this directly. Have you any right now? Jonah, hello. Is it right for you to be angry? Wasn't it just a little bit ago that you needed my grace? You needed my kindness? For real, over 120,000 people came to me. Let's celebrate what's happened here. So God engages Jonah in conversation because he sees how angry he is. And it says, but Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. God's like, you know, I was just talking to you, I thought, Jonah, but Jonah goes, sits in a place outside of town, east of the city, and Jonah is playing the quiet game. You know, the game your parents like to play with you, you know, when you're on a road trip, like you kids stay in the back and let's play the quiet game. It doesn't last for long, right? And they begin to make, you know, a lot of hoopla. And, and Jonah is what I call, if you look at this, Jonah is taking his ball and he is going home. Jonah is what I call a man child. Raise your hand if you know a man child. Don't point at them. Thank you, okay, then we're not gonna do that, right? But you, you know, it's, here's what Jonah does. He goes out east of the city and says, it says there he made himself a shelter, sat in the shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. I'm sitting now, I am mad, and I'm just gonna see what's gonna happen to those people, to, to Nineveh. And you know, real quick here, Jonah is not getting the answer from God that he likes, so he leaves the city. He walks to the edge, he camps out, God is a God of compassion, right? Verses six through eight, this is crazy, this is random, and it says, then the Lord God provided 
the Lord God provided. Say that with me. The Lord God provided. Let's say that again. The Lord God provided. Keyword provided. You watch this theme, theme through it. The Lord God provided a vine. Make it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, the Bible says, to ease his discomfort. How many of you know that God cares about the small stuff in your life? He cares about it, and he's taking care of it, right? So Jonah's hot, so he gives him this cool little vine, you know, to protect his head from getting burnt. And look at Jonah's response. And Jonah was very grateful about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm. God is into providing some very weird and random things sometimes in our life, just to get our attention, but just to let us know he really does care. He provided the worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun arose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he even grew faint. Here's the picture. God loves Jonah. Jonah, I know you're hot and you're discontented. I'm going to give you a vine, but then I'm going to give you a big vine, and the next morning I'm going to provide a worm to kill the vine. Then he says, okay, Jonah, not only am I going to do that, I'm going to send a scorching east wind. It's very hot, and it has the possibility of burning you. Look at Jonah's response. The sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He passed us out. He can't handle anymore. Look at the depth of his emotion. He wanted to die and said it would be better for me to die than to live. He is not content. He is not very excited about where he is in life. And I think this is a great opportunity just to maybe pause right now and, and, and look at this and say, are you content? I mean, are you excited about where you are in life right now? No, really, I, if we think about it, a lot of people aren't happy with their marriage. They aren't happy being single. A lot of people aren't happy with their career, with the decisions they've made, with the job that they've done parenting. A lot of people are wrestling right now with where they are at in the very place of their life. They're not very happy about it. That's where Jonah is. He's not happy about it. So Jonah's having a horrible, no good, very bad day. But you've got to understand that God is the God of the horrible, no good, very bad days. Isn't that right? And you see the word provided in here, provided, God provided, God provided. That that word provided is originally come from manna, which means a sent or appointed. You've heard that before. So that this verse is saying that God loves Jonah so much and he cares about him so much. He knows where he was born. He knows when he was going to die that he knew exactly what Jonah needed in his life at that very moment. And sometimes he would send a vine to protect him, but sometimes God would send a storm into Jonah's life. Sometimes God would send a worm, and sometimes God would send a scorching wind. Why? Not because God is mean, but because God's the provider, and he knows that Jonah needs a season to where God would provide the wind and the worm. And here we find the first consequences we see. God sends consequences into our lives when we attempt to run from his plan. That God sends storms in our lives to get our attention. And sometimes they are literal storms and sometimes they are circumstantial storms for the very drastic measure that God does to get our attention 
and to redirect us back onto the path that he has for us, they don't come in a, a, from a vindictive or a malicious God, but from a broken heart that loves us too much to let us run too far. That is how relentless God is, that he is into providing some of the craziest and most random things in our lives. Perhaps you today are facing a circumstance, a turbulent circumstance, because you're running away from God. And please understand that not all problems are a result of disobedience, but running away is a possible cause of storms in our life. Eugene Peterson warns us, trouble, at least extreme trouble, storm trouble, he says, strips us to the essentials and reveals the basic reality of our lives. Storms fling aside our defenses, they silence our excuses, they show us what we're really made of, and storms are God's way of clearing our calendar so that he can claim first place in our lives. Only then can we truly be attentive to his voice and hear what he is wanting to say. That's not the God that we want to serve, though, is it? We want to serve the God of the vine. We want to serve the God that makes us prosperous, the God that blesses us. We want to serve the God that writes a check and sends it in the mail anonymously, right? God, provide for me. Make my family well. Make my kids follow you. Don't let me struggle. We want to serve the God of the vine, but the reality that God is so much bigger than just the God of the vine goes to show his character and the fullness of who he is, that God loves us enough to specifically send us a wind and a storm. So God is the God of the vine. He is the God of the worm. Become a person that not only begs for the vine, but become a spiritually mature person that asks God to send a worm because he's developing Christ in you. He's developing patience. He's developing endurance. And he's developing you into the man and woman that he has called you to be. Do you believe that? You realize through this, that Jonah lost God's voice. He lost God's voice. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, but now God was speaking to Jonah through the sea, the storm, and even the great fish instead of visions in his word. Samson also lost the voice of God. We know the story in the Old Testament. Samson's hair was cut. We are told that he got up, shook himself as before, and went out not knowing that the spirit of the Lord had left him. We see Jonah in a mess. He's not interested in any provision. God tries to engage him, but God says to Jonah, Jonah, do you have any right to be angry about the vine now? And he says, I do. I have a right. I am angry enough to die. And so we see Jonah is suicidal over a stupid plant. He's suicidal because his anger got the best of him. And here's the reality of chapter 4, that Jonah has made it all about Jonah. Jonah has made it all about himself, not about God and providing and wanting to do a work on lost people, evil people, but that Jonah has made it all about him. You know, Ernest Hemingway, he loved to write about the country of Spain. In his short story, The Capital of the World, Hemingway tells of a father and son who had stopped talking to one another 
and things got so bad that the son left home. After several years, the father wanted to mend the relationship, and so he looked everywhere for his son. We came, he came to the capital city of Madrid. He decided to go to the newspaper office and take out a big ad in the newspaper that said this, Paco, please meet me at 12 noon tomorrow in front of the newspaper office. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. The next day at 12 noon, there were 800 men named Paco standing in front of the building. I suspect that we have some Pacos in here this morning that need forgiveness. Why do I suspect? Because we're human. We also need to give the gift of forgiveness to others. Not only receiving it, but that we would give the gift of forgiveness to others. C.S. Lewis said, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. I don't know about you, but God has forgiven the inexcusable in me. I, I didn't hear you. God has forgiven the inexcusable in me. That doesn't give me a right to continue in my stuff and my junk, but that we would pass on the forgiveness. We would receive it. My question for you is, is life about you? That is the reality of the world we live in. We live in such a misconstrued culture that life is about us. That's, what we're, that's what's being ingrained daily because we read magazines like us and people. We have subscriptions to our own magazines called Me Magazine. You imagine Jonah. He's lost, he's mad because he lost his poor plan, poor guy. And here's what God says to him, verse 10 to 11. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, but you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. You had nothing to do with this. I did, you didn't do anything, but Nineveh, can you say that with me? But Nineveh, say it again, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. He's saying they are so naive and ignorant in their sin, in their sinful living, they can't tell their right hand from their left. And then he says there's many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? That Jonah... Life is not all about you. It is not about your anger. It's not about your unforgiveness. But life is about Nineveh. Life is about Nineveh. But Nineveh. But lost people. What is Nineveh? Well, Nineveh is when you walk out the front door of your house and you immediately lock eyes with somebody. I want you to get that. When you walk out the door of your house, some of you won't even walk out of your house. You're going to lock eyes with somebody in your house that doesn't know the Lord. That's your Nineveh. That's where you start. Amen? And when you walk out the front door of your home today, tomorrow, and you walk out of here and you see somebody that doesn't know Christ, that's your Nineveh. 
God says, I want you to be reminded of this. You didn't do anything to make this stuff sprout out and to go. He said, I've done it. I'm your provider. I'm the God that blesses you with more than enough. Nineveh. Because Nineveh is the place that we live today where marriages are falling apart, where kids don't have dads, where homeless don't have food and shelter. But literally, many times we made life about us. The people are hurting. We're in Nineveh, and life's not about us. Now, I'm, please hear my heart. I'm not saying God doesn't care. But if you and I make life all about us only, how many of you know it's a very small package in a small world to live in? Nineveh. God is concerned about a generation of children, your children and my children. He's concerned about students, your students and my students. He's concerned about young adults. He's concerned about marriages today. He's concerned about those that are single and leading your homes, that he loves them. He loves your neighbors. God even loves your homeowners association. He loves those that have walked away from him. What are you concerned about, Jonah? Well, me, God, uh, this vine. Really, that's what it comes down to. Jonah, what are you concerned about? Well, this gourd, that it's grown up, uh, it's gone, and now you, Jonah, blah, 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 blah. It really doesn't mean anything. What are you really concerned about? My grass won't grow and my neighbors have weeds, and I'm so sad about that. Blah, blah, blah. Means nothing in eternity. So why are you so angry? Are you here today and you're angry? Now I'm not saying you don't have a right to be angry, but what are you doing with your anger? What about your resentment? Is it right for us to be apathetic? Is it right for us to be so busy? We can't get another thing in our day? Is it is it right? Does, does our time, and this is a real clarifier today, does our time, talent, and treasure intersect with God's purposes in this world? Does your time, does your talent, and does your treasure, I didn't come up with these. These are in God's word. These are not a pastor talking, saying, oh, you should, these are the word of the Lord. Does your time, does your talent, and does your treasure intersect with the purposes of God in this world? If it does not, you are living for you. If you leave one out, you are living for you. That's a hard message to preach. Can I hear an amen? Does everything about you intersect with everything about him? Amen? Those are clarifiers that we all have to answer now and in eternity. Does all of me intersect with all of him? That's what God's wanting to know. So are we? That we imagine a church that does this and has people that are here that have lives that intersect. And you imagine the difference that is being made and yet to be made in our Nineveh, in our world. So, I want you to know this today. 
that you and I have been called to make a difference. And I want you to think about this today, that God has put you on this earth to change eternity. Some of you are like, oh, it is only about today, and I'm overwhelmed, I'm anxious just about today. But listen, it's bigger than that because God's placed eternity in the heart of men and women. That's what his word says. So are you, are you here upon this earth, you in this room today, are you here in me, are you here in the spirit of God to know that he has placed you on this earth to change eternity? See, when you and I start living for forever, things start changing here. Isn't that true? That then it's no longer about just me, it's about what God is doing in the earth. And it changes our perspective. So my question, and this one you might have to wrestle with, but I wanna know, are you a person, are you a person, you want God to use you to change eternity? Four qualifiers. Number one, Jonah was living in the great contradiction. He knew God intimately, desired his forgiveness, but withheld forgiveness from the Ninevites. Who is God asking you to forgive? Number two, as we see in the life of Jonah, God is the great provider. He provided the storm, the fish, the vine, the worm, the wind. What in your life has been a direct provision from God, but have, okay, you're saying, oh yeah, God's provided. But what was the purpose of God's provision? Sometimes we never prevent, oh God, thank you, we go on. What's the purpose of the provision that he gave you? Amen? How many of you follow me? Thank you, God, and we go on. It's what's the purpose of your provision? Three, is life all about you? Yes or no, all right? Four, what have you done this week to reach out to your community, neighbors, hungry, and the poor? It's a great question. So, to you and me today, who of you in this room wants God to use you to change eternity? Can I see your You want God to use you to change eternity. Yes, yes. Amen. Let's stand to our feet as we pray. Father, you see and I see every hand, but only you see every heart. That there are people here that desire to be used for eternity. Father, that are not going to allow resentment and unforgiveness and bitterness have a hook in us. But Lord, we are going to love unconditionally. We are going to forgive, Lord, people that have wronged us. We're gonna go ask for forgiveness in an area where we have done somebody wrong. We know that takes big people. But Lord, through it, that you would bring healing. That God, you would restore our marriages. You would restore our children. You would restore our churches businesses in our community, Lord, that our heart, like your heart, would be for those in Nineveh that are lost without you. Forgive us of our arrogance, our comfort, and our self-centeredness, Lord, but that, God, you would ignite a fire of passion inside of us to change the world. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen and amen. So let's go and let's go change our world. Let's go do it. Let's go lock eyes with people that don't know Christ, amen. And bring them back here next week for our Easter services, amen. God bless and have a wonderful week in the Lord.